You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing our study in the book of Thessalonians, and Paul's at a place where he has made the distinction of how to make living out your Christianity practical as we have the understanding of the gospel behind us. And so he tells us that we are to live out the gospel in such a way that we are pure in life, that we love our brothers and that we uh, work diligently so that people might know that we are Christians. And again, we come now to a time uh, where a lot of people uh, sometimes go to extremes because this morning we'll be talking about the end times. And so we talk a little bit about how do we live life here on earth, even though we might be scared of death. Um, because if your people are honest, if they've really taken time, if they've been to funerals and kind of stop and think about what is to come, uh, sometimes it is very confusing, it can be overwhelming, um, and it could be something uh, that goes to extremes. And what I mean by that is sometimes people can get to extremes from the point of getting a specific date of saying this is when Jesus is going to come back. Now that's amazing to do because Jesus, even in his incarnation, said he didn't know what it was. So when man says that they figured out the date, I'm skeptical. I don't know. It's just me. Secondly, they could go to other extreme where there's no date that's set, where there's no understanding. It's simply a distant nebulous future. So what does it mean for us in regards to thinking about the end times? And what we need to remember is that we are called to be wise and to be prepared. And so I want you to look at the passage this morning. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Fathers, we come to this portion of Scripture. There's a lot of speculation. It becomes sometimes a, a passage of Scripture that becomes divisive. So, Lord, give us wisdom Lord, may we receive it as Paul intended it, Lord, the the pastoral heart that we might understand comfort and hope and peace. So, Lord, teach us this morning and give us the calling to go forth to preach the gospel. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I have before you three boxes. I'm going to ask Christy and Clay to come forward. already said it. So, I have three boxes in front of me. Now, so you look like you're going to cry. <laughs> now, Clay, Clay's quite crying because he knows Pastor Jeff. He's been on a couple trips with me. None of these boxes are going to hurt you. I didn't put any snakes or rats. I didn't put any uh, 
demonic plague or nothing like that. Nothing's going to hurt you to put your hand in there and feel what's in there. Okay? Now, it could be, it could be something good. It could be something not so good. Um, you're just going to have to find out. Alright? So, Christy, why don't you put your hand, you pick one of the boxes, put your hand in the middle of the box, and you grab down there and see what's in there. No, you don't really open Nice job. You gotta push your hand through. Alright, do you feel it? Oh, come on. <laughs> do you feel it? Alright, describe to us what you're feeling. It's fluffy. Okay? What else? Anything else about it that you can find? It feels like a stuffed animal. Now open the box. Why did I do that? Okay? Because there is such a thing as a fear of the unknown. And that's where the people in Thessalonica were. They had, listen, they're a small group of young Christians. Remember, they're not Christians for very long. And they are finding themselves in hard times. And they were told by the Apostle Paul that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, and the, the return is going to be imminent. And so these people are sitting there and they've had some of their friends now die. And they don't understand. And there's an unknown, there's a concern of, did they miss it? Did they miss it? And what's going to happen to them? So I want to kind of unpack this passage this morning. The first thing we're going to look at is verse 13. And there's quite a bit here. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. So again, there is the reality that there is grief and confusion. Now, the first thing I want you to know is that there is a difference that Paul talks about. He makes a difference between brothers and the rest of the world. 
So the first thing he does, again, this is a small group of young Christians whose family members, maybe friends, have died, and Jesus has not returned. So they're confused about the situation that's going on. And as they're confused, Paul comes in and says, I don't want you to be like the rest of the world. Because again, the rest of the world, if you are not a Christian, listen, has no God to look to. They have no purpose on this world. And there is no hope except for the reality of drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And I want you to understand that there's only, when you go to a funeral, what comfort do you bring? With Christ, we have a future hope. If you do not believe that there is a a heaven or a hell, (coughs) excuse me, if you do not believe that there is judgment to come, and you believe that this world is all there is, then by all means, drink, eat, live for yourself, because it does not matter then. But everybody who's gotten things where they can eat, drink, and be married, what have they ended up doing? Taking their own life. Because the things of earth have no answer for the things that we long for. And so Paul is talking to these brothers and he says, I want you not to be uninformed. And so what he does is he gives instruction to them. And he gives instruction to him in these two ways. He's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. And so again, this comes, this is not just a treaty, um, because a lot of times people come to this passage for theological reasons. And so they study this passage. Paul's writing this in a pastoral manner. His concern is for the people. He's saying these people need to know this stuff. Have any of you guys, for those that are a little bit older, remember Jay Leno? Before um, the new Tonight Show. Okay. Um, so Jay Leno used to do this thing called jaywalking. It was the man on the street. And he would go out there and he would ask questions that the average person really shouldn't know. And there's some really funny ones out there, but he would use questions sort of like this. So tell me, in what country is the Panama Canal? And then he would get some different responses. I don't know. Sometimes, and he said, well, tell me where the Great Wall of China is. And then the guy said, I guess it's in China. He says, so now tell me, where is the Panama Canal? And he said, in China? Again, he should have figured it out, right? What, what countries border the United States? One guy answered Australia. And he said, nope, Australia is not right. He goes, well, Hawaii? Nope, it doesn't border us either. Didn't even know that Canada and Mexico. An American. Middle-aged. We ask questions. Who wrote Handel's Messiah? One of the responses was, I don't read books. Simple things people don't get fully. And so Paul's concern is he says, I don't want you to be like the man on the street. I don't want you to be ignorant of the things that I'm telling you. So I'm going to tell you what to expect for those who die. Alistair Begg uses this. He says, the main things should remain the plain things, and the plain things should remain the main things. 
It's an understanding that, again, God is very clear to tell us what we are to believe and how we're to live. And so what happens is he's saying, I want your, your mind and your thinking to be transformed. And I want you to think the thoughts that God thinks. And when you think the thoughts that God thinks, then that affects how you live. Has to. If you don't believe that the stove is going to burn you, then by all means, put your hand on it when it's turned on. But if you know it's hot, then you don't put your hand on the stove. Simple. What we believe affects how we live. The second thing that Paul tells him about is an understanding of sleep. So he said, there have been those who have died. And that's what sleep means. There is a distinction between the body and the soul. But he said, I want you to understand that there is the the soul that goes forth. That's just the bodies that lay in the grave. Now the scripture is very uh, plain to tell us this. The scripture that was read to us by David Staples this morning was very clear. Remember the rich man is able to see Lazarus and father Abraham. So we know a couple of things. Okay. After death, there is still a spiritual reality. And it's a spiritual reality that understands pain and understands pleasure. Because the rich man was, he let us know that he was in anguish already. Now he's not in hell, but he's already in anguish. And he sees the comfort that Lazarus receives from Father Abraham. So we already understand that there is a distinction where the soul goes forth, even though the body lays in the cemetery. Now, I did not know this, but do you know that the word cemetery actually means sleeping place? That's the meaning of the word. It's temporary. It is the sleeping place. And so it's not soul sleep. Second Corinthians, you can write these down. I'm not going to put them up for you, but second Corinthians five, eight is better to be with the Lord. Luke 23, 43, where Jesus is talking to the, to the man on the cross and says, you're going to be with me in paradise. Matthew 17, three, Revelation, um, that's the transfiguration. Revelation six, nine through 11. That's the martyrs. All of these are showing that the soul goes forth. There is no soul sleep. You don't go into um, know nothing until Jesus comes back. You're aware automatically as soon as you die. Automatically. And so he's telling them, I want you to not be ignorant. I want you to understand that this gospel affects you. And I want you to understand what happens when you die. And so he's telling them this. And then he's telling them this so that they might rightly understand grief and hope. Because, listen, anybody who comes in here and says because you're a Christian, you don't have the right to mourn. That's wrong. We of all people should understand that it's okay and natural. What is the hardest thing for us to do in life? To say goodbye. Don't you have a desire like me? I wish all my friends from all the different time periods could all be together and we can have this great time, you know, whether take a whole cruise ship or, you know, buy this house or whatever where everybody gets to be in this um, thing and we all get to just hang out and tell stories and, and hang out and never have to say goodbye. But life's hard, right? It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to say goodbye to Joe, John and Joanne Hay. And I like Colorado. I lived in Colorado. That's great. I might be able to go out and go and visit them and stuff like that. But there's still a part of me that goes. 
Why are you leaving? You rip a part of my heart. That's natural. And it's natural for us to have that sorrow because, listen, death was never supposed to be. And so when God allows things to be ripped from us, again, it, it begins to affect and we have sorrow. Remember, it, they told us in the scripture, Jesus wept for Lazarus. Now, again, if you think about that, does that even make sense? Jesus was just about to tell Lazarus, come forth. He was just about to rise him, to raise him from the dead. He knew it. So why did he weep? Because of the sorrow. However, we don't weep without hope. That's the difference. We have hope because the grave is temporary. And because the grave is temporary, and we know that, why? Because we look to Jesus. And that's the rest of the passage that Paul gives to us. Looking at verse, starting in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we have this understanding that, again, we have to remind ourselves about the resurrection. Jesus died. Now, again, this is important. It's important from this perspective. And I want to to bring your attention to this. Do you notice how the Apostle Paul said that Jesus died? He didn't say he fell asleep. Ah, I should make you go, well, why the difference? He just said the people that die are only asleep. So why does he now change the word to Jesus died? I'm not just a pretty face, people. There are reasons in the scripture that God places these things here. We have to understand that Jesus took the full fury of death. Jesus went to hell. He endured God's wrath. Upon the cross. And again, I think R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul is so right in this. I don't think the physical death upon the cross was the thing that was most painful. It was the spiritual um, wrath of God that was poured upon him. That was the thing that was overwhelming to him. And so God places upon Jesus the full fury of death. And listen, then God had to accept the perfect sacrifice. And when he accepts the perfect the pure sacrifice and perfect sacrifice, then what happened? Jesus rose again. He was accepted as a perfect sacrifice. So when he was accepted, then what happens is it means Jesus conquered sin and death. He conquered it. So death could no longer hold him. Where, oh, death is your sting? It's no longer there because it's been paid for. And so he becomes the source of resurrection for us. We look to him. He is their first fruits. And so we say, am I going to be resurrected? Well, I don't know. Jesus is resurrected. So Jesus, do I get to come? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15. For this we declare to you, listen, by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, 
And so we will always be with the Lord. Now again, this is a passage where we get the word rapture. And the word rapture is Latin. It's not Greek. Okay, It's a Latin word, but that's where we get the word rapture. And it's the only place in Scripture where the rapture is spoken of specifically. Now there are other passages. Write this down. John 14, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Listen to these words. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, they shall come to pass as saying it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the work in the Lord is labor that is not in vain. So again, he's, he's telling us what's going to happen at the end times. Now, am I going to sit up here and argue for when that end time happens? No. I'm not God. And amazingly, either are you. So I want you to hear this from a pastoral concern perspective, not a theological debate. So we're not going to talk about what time period the rapture comes. We're going to talk about what happens in the rapture. So the first thing that happens in regards to the rapture is that, one, the Apostle Paul tells us very specifically, this is from the word of the Lord. It's not a fable. And listen, this book is not written for false comfort. It's not saying, hey, it's all messed up anyways, so let's write something nice so at least we're, we kind of have something to hold on to. That's not what the Bible is, is there for. It's there to tell us to be wise. Remember the ten virgins? virgins? Five were wise and five were unwise. The question is, are we prepared for when the Lord returns? Because when it returns, listen, Christ will descend. He's coming back. And he's coming back in a manner, listen, that is going to be dramatic. There is going to be a shout. And it comes from an archangel. And I'm going to be, I know I'm tending to be a little, I'm, I'm excited. Trying to calm down. Not here though. Because what happens from the archangel is what would be known as like a military shout. It's someone who gets up into a chariot and begins to tell the horses it's time to go. Any of you who've been in the military know that your drill sergeant or your commanding officer, whoever came in, didn't come on and say, come on, boys. Come on, boys. Get on up. Wasn't like your mom. Get up. Get up, Reed. It's okay. Rub his little face. Come on, Reed. It's okay. You got to go to work. What did your commanding officer do? What did your drill sergeant do? Get up. On your feet. It's a military shout to the horses. Giddy up. Go. And he's doing this. And the trumpet blows. 
Because listen, this is a dramatic, cosmic, universal scene. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know. Listen, some people stay up to all weird hours to find out what kind of babies born to the royals who have no power. They're just a rich family that lives in a big house that has all pomp and circumstance and no power whatsoever. And we care. We care about those, the little chariots and who's riding and what and what clothing they have and who's attending. As great of a party as we can put on pales in what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And people are going to know. And when this comes back with a shout and the trumpet, then what's going to happen is that the dead are the first to rise. Now, again, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We're told there's going to be a shout and there's going to be a trumpet that's going to, be, that's going to sound. And we're going to know it. But then what's really going to freak you out is when people start coming out of the graves. And you start recognizing them. And they're in their imperishable bodies. And so there's a recognition of who they are. But they're in their perfect bodies. And all of a sudden they're... <laughs> now you hope you're being taken up behind them. Because if you're only looking, that's bad. So the dead are being rose from the dead out of their graves and they are linked inseparably to Jesus. Everything they have, all their being, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything is Jesus. It's not worrying about, well, where's grandma now? Where's brother Sue? Sister Mary? You don't care. It's all Jesus. I got it, Brother Sue. I got it. It's all about Jesus. So we're inseparably linked to him. And then those who are still alive, listen, it says are caught up. It's a force you cannot resist. Have you ever gone out into the ocean and when the waves are considerable and try to stand your ground? You can't. You get tumbled. Let alone out there during hurricane force winds. A tidal wave. You really think you're going to stand your ground in the midst of a tidal wave? No. You go wherever the tidal wave wants you to go. That's what it's saying. We're so caught up, we can't even, we can't even hold ourselves back. We can't even say, wait a minute, we're caught up. And as we're caught up, we go up into the air with Christ. And it's a, theme, a scene. Listen to this. It's a scene like when he came into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. What happens? All the people came out of the city to usher him back into the city. He comes back as a king. He takes us with him. When that happens, I don't know. But are you prepared? Are you prepared? Nobody gets out of this one. You might say, hey, I didn't get cancer. Hey, I didn't lose a loved one in this world. Hey, I never got fired. Hey, I never lost my house. I never had this... No one gets out of this one. Everyone dies or is going to stand the judgment. So are we prepared? And what responsibility does God give to us with that knowledge? Well, the first thing he does, he tells us in the First Thessalonians passage in verse 18. He says this, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So we're supposed to be encouraging one another of the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. And as we encourage one another, then what happens is we gain knowledge. 
Which means that we need to be men and women of the word. Again, I'm not just this mean ogre that's just like, you got to study your Bibles, you got to study your Bibles. If you don't know the Bible, then it says that you're tossed back and forth. You don't know what to believe. God, he's not tricking us. He tells us, I'm coming back. Be prepared. Well, I didn't know Jesus was coming back. Liar. He's coming back. Be prepared. And again, that thinking then begins to affect our actions. If we believe that we're going to be judged, does that affect how you live your life? Should. If you believe that you are saved by grace through faith, it's a free gift. And God says, now do you love me? You should respond by saying, yes, I love you. I want to do anything that brings you glory and honor. And so how do we do that? We resist our corrupt nature. We live unto Christ. We grow in discipleship. We study the word. We have prayer time. We teach others. Again, it's transforming everything about us, our thinking and our living. But one of the greatest things I think comes from this is the last thing, evangelism. If you listen to this message and you look at other people around you who don't know Christ and you say, I don't care, and I'm sorry, kids, I don't care if people go to hell. How can that be? How can your heart not be wrenched Not be torn apart. Why do you think I asked for you to pray for those three people? At least three people. Do you really want them to come and know Jesus? Or do you want them in the pain of hell for eternity? And I know God is God. I'm not trying to guilt you into going out there. But do you have a heart? When Jesus came into Jerusalem, he looked over. He wept. He wept. Do you have the heart of Christ? One way, listen, one way is to invite, and I asked you this at the beginning of the year, invite one other family, one other couple, one, one. Bring them so they can have an opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel message preached clearly and then watch God work. So here's the deal. You are no longer uninformed. You're no longer uninformed. You know exactly what to expect. And so what's the charge? Go therefore. Go therefore into all the world. In Jerusalem, Syria, and to the utter ends. So does it hurt when people leave? Yes, I hate that John and Joanne are leaving. But people in Colorado need to hear the gospel just like they do here. Did I cry when Tamara Newton told me she might be leaving and moving away? Yes. But people need to hear it on airplanes all around the world that Jesus is Lord. Pray that God will bring people here and that he would change. Please, God, please change Brevard County. Please change it with the power of the gospel. Amen? Just don't go to Charleston. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you are not a God that's just deistic, that winds the clock and leaves us to our own ends. But you're a God who's personal and who's pastoral and is concerned about all of our life 
the way we think, the way we live, and who we tell. So, Father, make this passage make deep roots into our hearts. Give us that zeal and desire to go out and tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. And, Father, we know you're coming back, and, Lord, you're coming back soon. So for some of us, that scares us. But for others, we cry out, Lord Jesus, come soon. Come soon. And so, Father, may we be found faithful, faithful to the call to give you all glory and honor and tell others about the good news that we've found in Jesus Christ. For this we pray in the powerful and the matchless name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.